Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. The heavenly blisters. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio. And I'm here with uh, Everybody Loves Harry Moser from <laughs> Reshoring uh, Initiative with uh, two of his buddies. Matt Shockey and Harold, and Harold Shook. There we go. <laughs> so we're going to be talking uh, about a company called Thieves, which is an international company. And uh, we're going to be learning a lot of new stuff. So, Harry, why don't you uh, take it from here? Okay, great. Thank you, thank you, Lou, and, and thank you, uh, Matt and Harold, for joining us. So I'm going to introduce two people. Uh, one, Harold Schock, the CEO for Phoebe's Machining Systems Inc., and he he's leading the unification of five of, of a variety of Phoebe's high performance machining uh, businesses. And um, and second, uh, I'd like to introduce. Uh, Matt Shockey, who's president of the grinding ultra precision business line of the Thieves Group, CEO of Thieves Landis Corporation in Hagerstown, Maryland, and managing director of Thieves Landis Limited in England. He's got a lot of titles. I don't know how he <laughs> keeps up with it all, but uh, I I'd like to introduce them. And, and during our conversation, I'd like them to bring out their background. So instead of me telling you what they did, I'd like them to fit it into what we're going to talk about, I think is much better. And I'm going to bring up some a slide here, and you can tell me when it's up there. Okay. So how's that? Can, can you all see it? Beautiful. Okay. So... Uh, uh, how, how about Harold? Can you tell tell us about the company? I'd be happy to. Thank you, Harry, and thank you, Lou, for giving Matt and I the opportunity to to share with your audience and many of our customers the history of Feev and uh, how we came to the uh, to to acquire all of these marquee brand companies. So, Feev is an organization that was founded in 1812 in France. And as a manufacturer of steel locom uh, steam locomotives in the 19th century, uh, Fees has become today a global leader in the field of industrial engineering, uh, specializing in manufacturing premier metal cutting and grinding machine tools. And as part of the HPM business unit, we're the largest machine tool rebuilder and retrofitter in the U.S. And we have a very strong service team that supports our customers in North America and, and around the globe. Uh, these products are serviced. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, products and services are strengthened by our automation and digital solutions division. We've got a long history of remarkable achievements uh, beginning with the construction of the first steam and electric locomotives in France. Uh, many of the prestigious structures of the 19th century bear the mark of the Phoebes Group, including the Alexander III Bridge, the Horse Ray train station, and the Eiffel Tower, which everybody will recognize. Um, Throughout our existence, the Thieve Group's journey has been closely linked to major economic events and innovative technological advancements in the industrial world. And, and lastly, our organization is led by a visionary chairman named Frederick Sanchez. And Frederick embraces our responsibility to be a good corporate citizen and uh, always challenges us to be thought leaders and subject matter experts in the industries we serve. 
So we've been a leader in innovation throughout our history, and we have grown into a large international company uh, while retaining the operational flexibility of a small regionally focused business. Sounds good to me. How about if I bring up the second slide? So either, either Harold or Matt, which whoever wants to tell us what we're seeing. Well, I think uh, Lou and uh, Harry, thanks for having us on today. I can introduce a little bit about the grinding uh, ultra precision business line. Uh, as you can see on the slide there, we provide grinding solution and, and precision machine tools. We cover various um, types of precision grinding. The, the one that uh, we're very well known for is our or orbital grinding process, which covers crankshaft and camshaft grinding. Uh, we have centerless uh, as well as uh, flat surface grinding, ODID grinding equipment for bearings. These are very uh, you know, high production, high precision, highly automated systems. We, we also provide uh, solutions for grinding abrasives, grinding wheels, diamond tools, um, and the associated uh, uh, consumables to, uh, to be used in the grinding process. You can see the, uh, the, the name brands that we have, Landis, Bryant, Cincinnati, uh, Cranfield Precision, Show, Gardner Abrasives. Uh, these, these are the types of machines that we build with a, a global uh, worldwide footprint uh, with, with facilities uh, in the U.S. as well as uh, all over uh, the world. Any, any comments on the other three uh, topics shown there? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, so the um, material removal would, would include the Cincinnati brand, the Giddings and Lewis brand, um, the um, Warner and Swayze, Healed and uh, GA Gray. And uh, at one time, we were the largest machine tool builder in the world. Uh, by by 19, uh, entering the 1930s, Cincinnati was the largest machine tool builder in the world. Uh, some of the neat things that we really uh, are proud of is that uh, the founder of Cincinnati sold Henry Ford his very first grinder. And uh, one of the neat things or neat stories about that is that after he sold it to him, uh, Mr. Geyer wrote Mr. Ford a, a letter thanking him for his patronage and wishing him well in his new venture, Ford Motor Company. So I guess he did pretty well. And uh, on the composites and automated solutions side of the business, we are innovators in that technology. Um, a lot of people don't know this. It's one of the best kept secrets in, in the industry, but uh, Neil Armstrong was on our board of directors from 1980 to 2000. So, we're, you know, we got a rich history and a, and a very bright future with a lot of the uh, innovative technologies that, that are in R&D currently. Eric, and one of the key differentiators here of this whole group is this services right on the left there where, uh, you know, we, we provide all the services, field service, uh, retools, rebuilds, recontrolling uh, for, for the metal removal composites and all the grinding line. And we do that all here local in the U.S. Uh, as well as through our other facilities in the world. I have a, I, I have a question. Um, We've been doing manufacturing talk radio now for almost a decade or just about a decade. And we've talked to um, small, medium and large corporations. Uh, the 
vision that I have of thieves is that you're not large, you're huge. And the question, you started in 18-something? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 1812. Yeah. So wh where, where was the mission to grow this into a monolithic organization that specializes in this one particular area of manufacturing? Well, who's as I, who's as I was it? Why did it evolve this way? Well, as I shared earlier, Frederick Sanchez is is a very visionary, uh, and what he saw, Lou, I think, is that he saw, uh, and Harry and I've lived through this, and Matt's on the tail end of it. Um, he saw the defragmentation of the machine tool industry in the U.S. I mean, at one time we were the machine tool capital of the world. Um, we mobilized a workforce that, you know, built the munitions and the tanks that that freed Europe from the grips of Nazism and, you know, uh, the I think the lost decade of the 2000, 2010, we've seen a steady demise of the manufacturing base in the U.S. And Frederick Sanchez, you know, being the entrepreneur he was, he, he said, listen, here's a here's an opportunity. I don't want to miss that opportunity. And I think Maddie bought your your group first, right? Um, didn't he buy Landis first? And then that was kind of the launch into the U.S.? Very close to the beginning. Some of the automation businesses, I think, were were acquired first, but Landis was a, a close second to that, uh, as, as well as some of the other grinding businesses that we have. The way I explain it, back to, to me a little earlier still, back around 1985, the dollar peaked. When the dollar went went up 20, 30% against the Japanese currency, the, the, the Deutsche Mark at the time, and, and the others, and, and it was awfully tough for U.S. manufacturing, U.S. machine tool companies to compete. You just you couldn't just couldn't any come anywhere near matching that imports price. And and m m many major machine tool companies disappeared. Like I, I used to work for National Acme, one of the biggest lathe companies, just just wiped out. And and I, I think uh, you know we all owe a, a lot of gratitude to Thieves for maintaining and in, in many cases growing these lines. I think the strength, Harry, is, you know, Landis and uh, and, and our high precision division, we're, you know, we're solutions providers. We're, we're not typically just building a machine, that we have a machine, the process, the services. Uh, and, you know, this is this is a key part of the vision of Feeve is, is to develop and innovate uh, solutions for our customers and for industry. Uh, you know, we really boost the performance of main, main uh, industry leaders worldwide. And I think what's interesting about the strategy is that, you know, we believe that industry is the answer to all the major challenges that we face, you know, environmental, climate, technical, society, economic, uh, you know, and we have activities all over the world to support uh, this ambition. I think that's how uh, the 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 company was grown. The the group was grown around that vision of of solving these these major issues. Uh, you know, with the with the human race. And really, that's uh, that that's what attracted me to Feeve. So I uh, uh, I'm in my 45th year in a machine tool business, a part of a five generation machine tool building family. So we're very very proud of that of that heritage and that legacy. And uh, I had owned my own business 
blue and uh, uh, and was was very profitable, very successful in uh, 2008, 2009 downturn. Uh, when the whole world was in the tank, that was my family business's best year. We were debt-free, cash-strong, huge backlog, and it, and it attracted the attention of a company called Kona Cranes, who was also in the machine tool business. They're a Finnish-based company. They were one of the largest machine tool service companies in the world, about $140 million service business with no products. So Harry and, and, and Matt and I know how, how tough it is to get to that level with no products. Um, so I stayed with them for about seven years and then they bought DMAG, which was their number one global competitor on the lifting side of the business. So they decided to divest the machine tool side and they asked me to pick a company to pitch it to. And I, I chose Fee because I saw it as an opportunity to really help the industry that I owe so much to, you know, and I've been very blessed to, uh, to meet good friends like Matt Chalky and Pasquale Kalo, who is our CEO of the Lene Group and John Stencil, who's over our automation group. And, you know, it's just been a joy to, to, to bring all these businesses together. So one of the things we haven't shared is that when Frederick bought these businesses, he, he let them uh, remain as standalone profit centers. So that's great. Each of them were doing well, but the sum of the parts is always greater than the whole. So one of the charges that I was given was to bring all the businesses together uh, under a one thieves, one united team mission. And uh, it's been embraced by literally the globe. And we're, we're now, instead of having, you know, 10 or 12 different business units trying to develop a digital solution to take to the market, we now have all of these engineers in one room or on one team's call uh, or both. Uh, and we get the best of all of those brilliant minds working together in, in, in collaboration, consolidation. So now we have a magnificent digital solution that all of the businesses can take to the marketplace. And then because of the economy of scale, we can drive that cost down. So the end consumer or our, our customers uh, are the beneficiaries. Over the last uh, couple of years, uh, the COVID years, the uh, tariff years, the, all of these challenges that have affected manufacturing, particularly here in the United States and also in Europe. Um, many companies have found that they had record years in 2021, 22, and 23. And uh, so I asked the question, how, how did that evolve? You, you, you've been in business uh, 100 years. Uh, you've gone through all the challenges and all of the hardships, uh, uh, particularly in melding all of your uh, entities into one group. How did you do that? And, and still continue the way you are so successfully. And we are still in a, in a time warp era where we still have problems and challenges. I think a lot of it's through innovation. It's through uh, innovating new solutions that provide our customers, uh, you know, something better than they have or that they can get somewhere else. And this is a key part of of what we do and, and how we drive our success, you know, combining operations, uh, adding, uh, you know, the right automation, the right flexibility, the right modular approach to things, uh, you know, the right technologies for the job, you know, and bringing that at a very high quality and at the right cost. Um, and, you know, I feel that, that 
in the U.S., this is what's made us successful, is be very local to our customers uh, with a very uh, unique and advanced, uh, you know, technical solution to address their challenges. Well, and we've done a lot of things that, you know, I use the adage, you know, think outside the box without abandoning the box. Um, if you stayed with the same strategies uh, post-COVID as you did pre-COVID, um, it's not going to end well. You know, and a lot of companies are a testament to that. So um, one of the advantages, as Matt had, had referenced earlier, our, our machine tool service arm, and, uh, you know, we've got probably close to 70 or 80 service technicians who are leaving their homes every day, going out and providing the best customer experience possible. Uh, we've also, you know, with starting the HPM Training Academy, we're purpose and intentionally cross-training these folks. So uh, Matt's team, who's spent their entire career uh, repairing grinders and troubleshooting grinders and determining root cause, um, they're now, they're now cross-trained with the metal cutting guys. So we've got a much, much larger um, service arm now. And by joining the, the, the uh, sales teams, the commercial teams, you get the added benefit of the cross-selling because in, in years past, our grinding sales team was walking by metal cutting opportunities that they could have been driving to one of their sister companies. And, 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 and our metal cutting team was walking by grinding opportunities that, um, you know, they could have helped promote, you know, match team. And, uh, and in our strategic partners, I, as a, fall, a small family business owner, I always hated transactional relationships. You know, I, I need a cup of coffee. I give you a dollar for that cup of coffee. I don't see you again until I need another cup of coffee. Well, we've, we've launched what we call the Fee Strategic Partnership Alliance, where we brought what um, uh, traditionally was called suppliers into a strategic partnership alliance where we're sharing inventories with each other. You know, um, they're made one of our strategic partners and they're huge partners. Many of them are, are MROs for major corporations. So they're carrying an inventory, but but if we get visibility of that inventory, they have visibility of our inventory, the, the probability uh, is much higher that they'll be able to take care of their, their customers' challenges. So we're not, and, and we also have what we call ISPs, independent service providers, where um, we, we actually will partner with other small machine tool service businesses um, to make sure that we're able to, to keep our promise. It's a different world, so it requires a different you know, a different go-to-market strategy altogether. And many of these big companies are opposed to that because it's just outside of their comfort zone. One, one of the, probably the major problem for, for all of our companies is, is the skilled workforce availability. You know, it's, it's never been easy in manufacturing for the last 20, 30 years, but it's gotten worse now. And so I'm wondering just, just what have you, first, first tell us about your individual backgrounds, how you started out and how you got into manufacturing, apprenticeships, things like that. Well, Harry, I started out uh, as an intern when I was in university for engineering. Uh, and I did that internship at Landis. It was a town, it was the company uh, in my local town. And for a few years while I was in university during the summer, I worked at Landis. Uh, and, uh, you know, really got familiar with uh, with the product, with, uh, you know, what, what they were doing there and uh, decided to spend my life in grinding from that experience. So, I, you know, I'm very supportive of, uh, you know, trying to inspire and capture, um, you know, the, the younger generation at that point in their 
uh, in you know their career or their their education to bring them in early and, and really get them uh, involved in uh, you know hands on what's happening with with the industry, what's happening with the machines, and you know getting involved with the team and really learning the basics of of what a manufacturing company does. Uh, and and I've seen many others. I'm sure Harold has a very uh, uh, similar experience with how he got involved in manufacturing and why he spent uh, his entire life in, in that industry. How much of the, uh, the new world as it is affects your entire group of eight, nine, 10 companies in relation to the new technologies, uh, the AI, the 3D printing, uh, and ASI, which is the new version of AI, and all the rest of them. How are they impacting your group? And do you does it impact you as a group of companies or individually by different companies? Well, they they benefit us, Lou. It's it's a real benefit. You know, FEV has a uh, metal additive manufacturing activity. Uh, we we design and manufacture metal 3D printers. We you know we use that technology in a lot of the designs that we have. We have 3D printers at at Landis uh, that that we use to do prototyping and uh, and so even some of our uh, you know production components are 3D printed now. So I think that you know certainly then on the digital side, moving into all the software and the digital solutions. Uh, and and you know providing that level of um, of of uh, digital solution is is a real benefit. You know we're looking at machine learning, AI, big data. You know how how do we utilize that to make our solution better to improve the performance of our machines to get better connected with the customers. We have you know uh, the digital solution that we're introducing has the ability to better connect with the customer so that when you need support. We can provide that immediately. We have all the tools available to connect to the machine and connect to the person that's, uh, you know, attempting to troubleshoot or optimize the performance of the system. And Harold, how about your background? How'd you get started? Well, being, being part of a four-generation machine tool building family until my son Buddy became the fifth, I didn't really have much of choice. I think it was destiny for me. But my 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 first. Uh, job was with American Tool Works Company uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I served my apprenticeship there, uh, learned the art of, uh, and this is a lost art, a dying art um, of machine tool scraping, you know, for geometries and alignments. And you'll remember that, Harry, us old, older guys, uh, I mean, that's that's the way the machines were, were aligned and that's where the, you know, the geometry and the accuracies came from. Of course, today, now we have linear guides and, you know, a plethora of other ways, hydrostatics, but, um, and then I moved from American Tool to LeBlanc, which is where my great-grandfather retired. Um, and an interesting part of my family history is uh, my great-grandfather had retired from LeBlanc and went back to LeBlanc as they would do in those days to exchange pleasantries with the, the men they worked with. And on his way out, uh, Mr. King, as my father tells me, was the uh, HR director. And my grandfather went in to exchange pleasantries with Mr. King, had a massive heart attack and died right there in his office. So you know, it's it's more than just a job for me. It's been a way of life and a vocation. And uh, from LeBlanc, I went to work for a company called Remachine and Retrofit Company. They had, uh, started in 1979. They were started by 
two former um, Cincinnati Millicron. Uh, one was the, the national service manager and the other was a, a regional service manager. And I learned a plethora of things from those guys. They were absolutely brilliant. So I perfected my craft in, in rebuilding and retrofitting any brand. You know, they taught me to, to put my hand just out in front of me to cover the name of the OEM and just realize it's just a big hunk of iron with electrons flowing through it. So I had an opportunity to be exposed to just about every make and model uh, from Ingersoll to Mazak to um, you name it. Um, and that's really where I perfected the craft and, and met a lot of uh, the folks in my network. And then from a uh, uh, remission retrofit company, I launched my own business. And in five and a half years, we had, um, we had grown to be one of the uh, largest, most recognized machine tool rebuilders and retrofitters in, in, uh, in the U.S. Um, and it's there that I was approached uh, by NTT, which is a third party um, MRO for Boeing to work with Boeing's engineers to, to author their training manual. And I've been doing a lot of training throughout the country because I, when, when Boeing came to me initially, I said no, because I had a family business that I had to run. I had all these lives that were dependent upon me and I knew it would be a huge distraction, but I talked to many of my friends who are businessmen. They said, Harold, the passion you have for the industry and all the deposits that all those men that went before you made into your career what if they would have told you no? This is your opportunity to multiply this transfer of knowledge to you know hundreds of people in a craft college. So I, 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 I rethought that and I finally acquiesced and said, okay, I'll do it. Um, and then, uh, as I said, in 20, ran my own family business um, until 2018, Cone Cranes bought DMAG and then I, I landed with, uh, with Feeve and Matt and the rest of the the great team we have here and it's been it's been a renaissance and an upward trajectory ever since so i think it's great that both of you have that hands-on experience and and one of the weaknesses in the u.s is that in comparison say to germany or switzerland or austria we don't not enough of our kids get that real hands-on experience we've got good engineers they can do analysis they can do theory but the, the background you have the real hands-on is is essential to, that, that are a much higher percentage of people have that background. So I, I applaud you for your for your success. How about how about telling us about what you're doing to train your employees and bring them up to scale? Any special programs? Matt, you want to lead with that? Well, we have, you know, a lot of the the things that we're doing is bringing in, you know, we've we've we had about nine interns this year. So, you know, again, going back and, and starting with um, people that are just beginning their career or they're, they're still in university and really trying to get them involved and inspired uh, to come to Landis and to learn about our machines and about what we do there. Uh, we, we've been fortunate to have uh, several of them come back. And this has been uh, a great uh, vehicle for us to bring new talent into the company. The, the other thing that we do, I think that's significant is we, we hire as many people as we can into the floor technical jobs or the service jobs. And, the, and then that, that becomes, um, you know, a, a great area for us to train them hands-on on all the basics of the machines, of the metrology, of the, uh, the tools that we use so that then they can grow very quickly. We can accelerate them into 
uh, areas of manufacturing leadership or into engineering or furthering their career uh, in different areas of the company with that having that that basic knowledge or you know even a, a quite a, a high level of, of knowledge on the machines and the systems that we build. How about training the customer, getting them confident or exceptional in using your equipment? I'll, I'll take that piece, Matt, if it's okay. Um, so one, one thing I'd add is that I mentioned Mark Stocker earlier on who reports to Matt. Uh, Mark is the uh, current president of the American Society of Precision Engineering um, and is, uh, has put together a number of syllabuses uh, for a, a variety of different disciplines within the industry. Um, but, you know, as we, as, as, as the statistics show us, you know, at least uh, the recent Pew research says that a third of the workforce, 41 million is baby boomers. That's huge. That's a huge mass exodus that's gonna take place. In 2021, over 41 or 47 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. And then if you look at the migration, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, millennials have been job switching at a, at a rate of 50%. And the Gen Xers are right behind them at 31%. So getting the right people on the bus is one thing, but keeping them on the bus, you know, is an entirely different. Um, so what we've, what we've um, demonstrated to our team is that you're important to us. We're going to invest in you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, as many as we can, we're going to develop ourselves just like Matt and I were developed. All these subject matter experts who are entrusted the care of our development. We're doing a lot of mentoring. We, uh, we have formal classes. We've partnered with uh, companies like Fanic and Siemens and Threadcraft and SunSource and others to come alongside us to augment and support the curriculum that we're developing ourselves. Again, as I said earlier, strategic partners have been, I think our strategic partners is, is really the lifeblood of our future. Um, and they're playing, they're coming alongside us and playing a very important role in the development of the next generation machine tool builders and, and service teams at, uh, at the feeds. Barry, another, another significant thing we're doing, I'd really like to thank these guys is, you know, the retirees that we have, we have had, you know, a lot of people retire, like we were talking about, you know, before the show started. And, uh, you know, we've been really fortunate that these guys, you know, they still remain engaged. They still want to work a little bit and they're coming back and they're helping us train new employees. And I think we have, you know, maybe eight of these guys uh, and that, that are that are still involved uh, and very, um, um, very happy to come back and train the new employees in the company. It's been very successful there. This is what they're focused on. Um, you know, they're able to come in a few days a week and really contribute to the future of the company. That's a, a great point, Matt. And, and, and I'd, I'd want to add this. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, training is really woven into the fabric of, of our company. If you, if you go back to like 1906, um, there was a new uh, dean of engineering at the University of Cincinnati named Herman Schneider. And he came in with this brilliant idea that had never been tried before that he called a co-op program. And there were nine members of the board of directors at the University of Cincinnati in 1906. One of them happened to be a gentleman by the name of Frederick A. Geyer, the founder of Cincinnati Milling Machine Company. And he cast the fifth and deciding vote that launched what we know today and the whole world has been beneficiaries of, of the, uh, the co-op program. That's number one. Number two, 
is Cincinnati had in their own internal training program. And we, as Matt had said, we got retirees, but I've got probably 20, uh, 15 to 20 people uh, that are currently on our team that have 40 years or more experience with the company. So they came through that era where the training program was very paramount. Uh, we, we had what we call the 8,000 hour training program. Um, and that's what we would put all of our technicians through. Now the 8,000 hour was uh, by selection. You had the, the precursor was the 2,000 hour. Um, but those who went through the 8,000, those, those were truly the, the cream, cream of the crop. So we still have a remnant you know, at, at Matt's companies and the, and the, and the uh, businesses that are under my uh, leadership who understood the roadmap to becoming, you know, the top machine tool builder in the world. So we're, we're, we're using their expertise to migrate that knowledge transfer over to this, this current uh, generation of worker. Just to put my two cents into this, um, and we've been talking about this for a number of years now, and that is that by 2030, I believe the number is that we're going to be short 4 million workers in manufacturing. I think that's the correct number. For their correct. So the point is today that uh, parents and schools uh, are still looking to promote kids to go to college uh, when uh, particularly the parents, they want to send little Johnny Jones to college and uh, maybe he'll graduate, maybe 60% of the time he won't uh, and have a $200,000 debt. Uh, but there's also the, this other side where um, if we had a satisfactory immigration program in this country, we could do a lot better by bringing qualified people into this country, either young ones. I mean, in Germany, they have a whole educational system that teaches uh, the arts and the crafts. And they're doing that and they've been doing that for, they, they invented that. So if we had a qualified immigration program to look to bring people in, we might not be in this spot uh, of you know, trying to um, do a crash course on training and this and that and not have enough people within the next three, four years to carry on our manufacturing needs and requirements. That's why I've, that's why I've been such a big fan of Harry Moser. I, and I'm not <laughs> saying that for platitudes. I mean, when Harry uh, started what he was doing, and I think what was around 2010, somewhere thereabouts, um, there was no voice. There was no voice in Washington. I mean, the politicians had abandoned us, uh, um, and, and, and unfortunately, some some executives with corporations uh, didn't. They had they weren't as long sighted as they should have been when they started moving a lot of these manufacturing jobs offshore, and they put us at a tremendous risk. Well, you know, thank God, Harry, and and there's others alongside Harry and Matt and I are silent voices in that in that movement, but. I mean, we're going to reshore 400,000 manufacturing jobs this year alone. And uh, I mean, that's wonderful. The, 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 uh, the, the elephant in the room is the capacity. Okay, let's bring all those jobs back, but, but how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, uh, man up and, and make, make the deliverables? So 
I think we have a movement started. I, I think we see this president, um, and I try to be apolitical because I'm not a politician. I'm for the guy that's going to uh, make the best decisions for the livelihoods of all the aggregate families in the United States. But I do think that, you know, the previous administration did some things. Harry worked with them. This administration is doing some things to help us move. But it's it's going to start at the grassroots level. You know, I, I go to these local tech schools uh, and I talk. I invest my time and I share with them. And, and when you share a story, every young man, they're just like us. We all love good stories. We love hearing about the history of our company or our family or what have you. And uh, I went over to um, Gateway uh, middle of last year and uh, just to talk to them about our organization and the history. And they, they don't teach them this in school. They don't teach them how um, satisfying that it can be to, to manufacture things with your hands. And when I shared with them that during World War II, Cincinnati Milling Machine Company produced a machine tool every 17 minutes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to help win the war in, in, uh, in, in Europe. And when I tell them that we machined all, not most, all of the large gun barrels um, in the Naval uh, fleet, they, they're, they're, they're astonished by this. And when you tell them Bethlehem Steel was the largest shipbuilder in the world, incorporated in 1857 in our great country, dismantled our federal uh, bankruptcy courts in 2003, 163 acres long along the Lehigh River, um, Eugene Grace, their chairman, went to President Roosevelt and said, Mr. President, the employees of New, Newport, or pardon me, Bethlehem Steel is going to provide a ship a day to help in the war effort. And they did it, 1,122 vessels. These kids are like drawn to those stories. So we got to share this with them. We got to link that past to today and what the future projections can be if they'll come in, alongside us and help us get there. And, and, and they're, they're, in they're really in, enthralled by that. They really are. I don't know if you're experiencing that or not, but these young people today are no different than we were. They just got to get the right message from the right messenger and they have to believe it. And then they'll, then they'll mobilize behind us. I agree with you 10% on that. How about, we mentioned reshoring there, and obviously that's one reason I'm here. Uh, how about talking to us about what you've been doing for the supply chain, either in the company or with your customers? This is pretty interesting, guys. You know, what, what's happening in the U.S. right now is, uh, you know, obviously a, a huge amount of investment in, in the electrification you know, of the auto industry. And so what, where we're finding uh, ourselves in, in the grinding industry is having to support both the uh, requirements of the internal combustion engine components, which you can see at the bottom, crankshaft, camshafts, uh, connecting rods, lifters, um, you know, piston rings, all of these components within uh, an internal combustion engine need a precision grind operation. And then on the other hand, we, we're now having to design uh, new equipment for the industry to support the, uh, the, the EV uh, components, which you can see is uh, gears and G-rotors and, and other types of, uh, of electric uh, motor shafts and pinions. So this, this is a very interesting time for us. And uh, back to Lou's question about some of the growth that we've seen, some of the, um, you know, the situation that we have with some of the historic backlogs that we're, that we're current, currently experiencing is a result of, of, of supporting both of these technologies, right? And, and on the internal combustion engine side, a lot of that is on the support side. There's a lot of retooling, recontrolling, modernization of 
existing equipment to support what's happening in the uh, internal combustion engine side of the industry. And then on the electric side, it's it's really all new equipment. It's um, it's it's highly flexible, highly automated precision equipment to grind uh, these types of components. That's just great. So you're right there on the forefront. I, I, I'm glad, glad it's working. How about automation? Automation is awfully important for uh, our wages are higher than in places like China. And so to bring the work back, it, you know, automation is, is essential to, to get our costs competitive. Hey, absolutely right. When you look at the slide and the system that we have here for, um, for the electric vehicle, um, uh, shaft production, you'll see that this is a fully automated system. Um, there's, there's robots that, that load and unload the parts into the system with a gantry loader that, that takes it. And this is, uh, you know, a completely flexible system that runs, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fully automated. And this is the types of solutions that we create uh, for a majority of our, of our applications. You'll have some kind of automation uh, that that is doing all the loading, the unloading, um, you know, of the equipment, and then the machine itself is an automatic cycle, uh, everything inside, and to a high degree, a lot of the flexibility is created through automation that we're moving the components of the machine to adapt to very various different types of components. So this is uh, this is a, certainly a key differentiator of what we do, and a big part of. Uh, of the solutions that we created is based around automation. It's based around, you know, we call it lights out manufacturing, being able to manufacture 24 hours a day, seven days a week without so much human intervention in the process. Harold, to add? Yeah, uh, Matt, Matt um, kind of summed it up, but I think one of the things that we also bring that we didn't talk about is our, our automation um, um, business unit, okay, that exclusively focuses on uh, the automation technology, robots, pick and place, um, conveying systems, et cetera. Amazon is a big customer of ours. Um, the, uh, the conversation I had with Mike Chico, who's the chairman of FANIC, I think it was this most recent IMTS. I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth, but I think he told me that their year-over-year -year sales had increased post-COVID by 40%. Um, we're seeing a very similar increase on our automation team. That's the DIAG organization that won't be on the on the banner that you'll see here on the next two or three slides. Uh, and we've got a Synetics group that also is heavily invested in, in automation. Um, we're working very closely with a, um, a very high-tech uh, inventor of a, a cell solution that uh, we're, we're probably going to acquire within the next 30 to 60 days um, that we believe will make us a leader in the industry because we can take that technology and we can automate anybody's cell. So we're always looking forward and, and, and automation uh, certainly is going to be one of the uh, um, aids in the uh, depleting workforce that we see. You know, you're going to need fewer people if we can you know, put, put robot and automation uh, and, and, uh, to work for us. So we're looking at the entire, as Matt said earlier, we, we really promote ourselves as a solution provider. And if you only have a handful of, of products and services, that's not really a solution provider, that's a service provider. Solution provider is to come in and do turnkey. And we're even you know, considering strategic partnerships with, with other businesses that might do the cranes or might do foundations or buildings. 
that come in. So they have a single source that they can turn to, you know, and, and develop a strong, long, uh, long-term sustainable partnership. That's great. Let me go on to our next slide here. Harry, just to add there, you know, and we have all these highly automated systems, very precise systems uh, and robust, but, but what you also need when you have a system like that is a really skilled workforce for the maintenance, for the quality adjustment, for the, you know, even the operators have to be very skilled in the adjustments and how the system works. So we, we may have, you know, less of the hard work is done by the automation, but the really skilled, um, you know, uh, controls type, uh, you know, quality type work is done by uh, the people that are involved in operating that system. In, in any case, I refer to the automation, not, not as a way to have fewer people, but a way to get more production out with the same number of people and generally, <laughs> generally a more engaging, rewarding job. Yes. That'll make them happier with their career, more likely to stay with you. That's You're right. And the data and the data shows that automation does not reduce the workforce. It creates other opportunities, you know, for that workforce to be more effective. As leaders, we should never be looking at cutting. We should always be looking at building, investing in people, and finding a way to migrate those folks who maybe those that automation might transplant into another critical part of our business. So how about again back to reshoring? Uh, and let's say reshoring and just generally producing in the U.S. T tell us, tell us what you're doing. So, Harry, I wanted to provide you a few examples here of some of the things that we're doing. Uh, this, this is our hydrostatic spindle and bearings. These are, um, you know, quite prevalent in our machines. We have many mechanisms with uh, high power, high precision rotating components. And th this is a Landis design. This is the the heart of our technology, which. Uh, you know, traditionally has, has been made, uh, at least on the production side of things. In the past, we were, we were sourcing this through the UK. We have a, a division of ours in the UK, and, and based on cost and, uh, and, and lead times, uh, we, we traditionally would manufacture most of these components in the UK facility. But, you know, since the pandemic uh, and, the, and the rising costs and the issues with the supply chains, We've reshored a significant amount of this production back to our uh, uh, operation in Hagerstown. So you can see the traditional supply chain was UK for the raw material, UK for the machining, the and the assembly, and then we ship it to Hagerstown, Maryland, assemble it uh, in the machine from the, the precision components that you see there. Now in the in the new uh, post-pandemic world, the, we obtain the raw material here in the U.S. and then we do the machining the grinding and the precision assembly also in the Hagerstown factory. Well, because you've reshored something made out of metal, uh, you can apply for the National Metalworking Reshoring Award, which will be uh, the, the winner for 2024 will be announced at IMTS 2024. So I'd you know, love, love to have you apply for that. Okay. Thanks, Harry. Yeah. I think the next one, if you bring up the next slide, this one's really interesting because this also shows the collaboration that we have within the uh, within within the FEV high precision team. So this is a very large base. This is a quite an interesting application. This is for uh, you know say large uh, locomotives or power generation equipment. This is a very large crankshaft that you see there. The one that this machine is designed for is around 17 feet long. Uh, and the 30 ton machine base here. Traditionally, we'd go to China for this raw casting. 
we'd ship that, this thing would go around the world. We'd ship it to the UK for machining, and then it would come the whole way to Eggerstown for assembly. Now, with, uh, with the issues with cost and with the supply chain, especially the logistics side of that equation, we've, we've reshored this, this machine base uh, back, to, back to the US. So the, the raw casting comes from Pennsylvania. You can see at the bottom, there's a few pictures of this thing going through the process. This has just occurred within the last few months. We take a, a truck and we ship this to, to uh, Harold's team up at Thieves GNL in Wisconsin. And they do all the machining on that. You can see the picture on the right. That's the base on the Giddings and Lewis machine in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And then this thing comes back to land this in Maryland where we do the final assembly. So the, these are, are some of the, uh, the, the examples of the things we're working on with reshoring. We're also looking, I think this is pretty interesting also on these machine bases for our new products looking at different materials like epoxy granite and uh, you know, even maybe a concrete type uh, solution where we can, we can reshore these without having to go through the intense casting process. And we can use new technologies that are available to create a, a, a machine base out of an alternate material. Well, it's great with, great with completely the tradition that you have with all these great, great lines to, to still be bringing more back to the United States. And I, I applaud you for that. Thank you. So you can I, see I now, to cut you off. Yeah. Yeah. Harry and Lou, you can see now why I'm so high on Matt Chalky and uh, why Frederick Sanchez has such uh, confidence in, in the vision that we're building together um, for this One Thieves, One United team uh, presentation to really literally to the world. Uh, and, and I also, uh, hats off to Matt. He's he's leading the charge in our fees family of businesses to reshore these machines and um, uh, to re reshore these components, I should say. And uh, he and I are working in concert together with our teams, as he said earlier, some composite opportunities um, for maybe even on the GNL side. Um, but his team is, uh, uh, especially that team in Cranfield, why don't you tell them a little bit about that, Matt, what, what we're doing to look at innovation in the future, you know, with uh, Stalker and Fletcher and all of those guys, just kind of give them a peek behind the curtain to what we do when we start looking at, you know, what, what, what's driving the future, you know, in the marketplace. Well, what, what we're doing, Harold, thank you, is significant investment in, uh, in innovation. And we have a team in Cranfield, we call this like our skunk works, where this is a dedicated team, a dedicated facility uh, that, that is used um, for the innovation of our systems, of the softwares, of our technologies. And the, the technology that you see on the screen here was that was all born out of Cranfield. The hydrostatic technology, the controls, the spindles that we use to grind these, uh, you know, very large uh, crankshafts to a very high degree of precision a lot of the metrology systems, uh, all this works together. It, it comes out of this team that we have in uh, at Cranfield Precision, again, dedicated to the task of innovating for our grinding group. And, and you know, the challenges that we face is really what's happening with, you know, the electrification of the automotive industry. And, that, and that's happening, um, you know, very quickly in Europe and in China. Uh, the U.S., you know, we still have a bit of a different strategy, but that that uh, transition is occurring, um, you know, as, as uh, very very quickly. 
so we, what, what we're facing is, is having to go into and find uh, you know, other places where we can apply our technology. And this team in Cranfield uh, you know, works to identify the markets that our technology is suitable for, as well as designing and adapting our machinery uh, to support those new applications. So just if, if I could add on to that, uh, Harry um, and Lou, we've got, we're on four continents. And um, just to give you a breakdown of what that distribution is for our business, we've got 26 subsidiaries in, uh, in the Americas. 37% of our order intake is in region Americas. 45 subsidiaries are in Europe. About 38% of our intake, order intake uh, is, is in the, uh, Europe. Uh, in the African and Middle East, we have six subsidiaries and 4% of that uh, represents 4% of order intake. Um, and in Asia, um, there's eight subsidiaries there, 21%. So um, I'm, it, it just gives me a great amount of pride. I'm one of you know, the handful of Thieves uh, Inc. Um, board of directors in North America. So as I get to look at the trend of what's happening in America, we're one of those companies, Harry, that you call a direct foreign direct investment, right, in the U.S., and, and nearly $2.3 trillion was uh, invested in the U.S. in 2022. We're one of those companies. We're building an empire in, in North America, and this year, we just had our CEO meeting of all the CEOs in both, uh, in all three divisions or branches of our business, the machine tool division, the what we call SAS, or Smart Automation Solutions, and then aluminum and steel. And we, uh, Matt sponsored us in Hagerstown. We're going to approach, I don't know that we'll reach it, but we'll approach $1 billion in, in uh, North America. And this is a company that, um, until they bought Synetic and, and Matt in, what, 1985, thereabouts? Hmm. You're talking about 30 years doing a billion dollars. Do the math. That's a that's quite a growth trajectory, you know, and yeah, it doesn't happen through osmosis. There's a lot of intentionality and we give really credit to our people. Um, Matt and I, uh, we know we're standing on the shoulders of our people. There's 8,700 employees in this business, uh, 69 different nationalities. Um, and all of that coming together is how we get all of these solutions. That's helping you, Harry, reshore product to the United States and helping all of those companies in the United States gain more momentum so then we can, we can um, um, begin to sell to the world at a value, okay? We're back in the game again because of all the efforts of folks like you and Lou letting Matt and I get our message out, a good message, and because there seems to be a movement of patriotism in, 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 in the United States again. And I think we're gaining a lot of momentum with that. Well, well said, well said, gentlemen. How about you guys just uh, briefly go through the top names? These these are all, all your brands, right? And I, we, we put the you know the best known ones I think at the top, but it's that's an incredible group of companies. Yes, sir. Thank you, Harry. Yeah, I just got a, a comment about uh, Cincinnati. I think speaks for itself. You can go anywhere in the world, in most places you go, and you say Cincinnati, they don't know it's a town. They they think it's a machine tool company. <laughs> no, I mean that's just the facts. Um, so, but, but let me just speak a little bit about, uh, about GNL. Um, really proud of the legacy and the history there. And I'm especially proud of the town. You know, uh, Fond du Lac uh, is a community that's growing. There's great vision there on their city council. 
You know, so uh, Giddings and Lewis was founded in 1859 in Fond du Lac. We're still there. 160, we celebrated 160 years of building machines, the finest machine tools in the world in America, in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Um, you know, when the state of Wisconsin was only 11 years old, uh, Fees Giddings and Lewis first opens its doors on, on the corner of Reese and Doty Streets, and we're still, we're still on Doty Street. Um, we work closely with the Moraine Park Technical College in Fond du Lac. And we're working with Diane Benson. She is the uh, community development director for the city of Fond du Lac to help us restructure our plant for greater efficiency and lower cost in partnership with the city. They've come alongside us and I, I, can't, I can't promote them more because they're doing, they're doing all the right things to attract businesses to, to, to their locale. And uh, if, if every small city in America would adopt that type of a philosophy where they recognize that manufacturing uh, is really the key to the to the future, then I think that, that roadmap that you're putting together, Harry, you'll be able to retire sooner because you can say I, I brought <laughs> 5 million jobs back to the U.S. And you know, I find, yeah, I, I find it interesting that if you just take manufacturing in the U.S. alone, it would be the eighth largest economy in the world. I mean, think about that, guys. Just get, get our minds around that. No, but, but it should be the fifth largest economy. In the world. I, I, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Let's so, make it happen. I remember Warner and Swayze is one of, again, one of the great machine tool companies of the world. You, you, you've got a great lineup there. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. We're very proud of that, of the legacy products. And we're so working anything, very hard to take care of them. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything we didn't cover that, that, uh, that we missed that you, you want to make sure you, the audience hears? Just to thank you, Lou, and thank you, Harry, for all your efforts to, you know, inspire people to come work for manufacturing and, and you know, to work with companies like ours to, to reshore components and, uh, you know, grow, grow the U.S. economy um, is a spectacular effort. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity that you all come to Manufacturing Talk Radio so that we can get your message out. And uh, it's an important message. And uh, like I said earlier, we're about the 820th show, 16 this week. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's hard work on our part. It's hard work on your part. But we're all succeeding to make a better place for all, everyone in manufacturing. And I want to thank you all for joining me on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're with you guys. It's, it's been Thank our pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Thank Harry. You. Thank See you, you soon. Bye-bye. Uh, let's talk in the future. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. The heavenly blisses of his... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.